0: Today we have uh, Elise joining us from Functionize as the Vice President of Product Management. And Hi, how are you doing today, Elise?
1: I am just fantastic. How are you doing?
0: Uh, likewise, yeah. No, I'm excited to to um, start the combo. So, could you start out with a little bit of background on two things? First of all, your kind of journey in product management, and then what um, what Functionize does for uh, listeners that might not be so familiar.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I I run product here at Functionize. I've been here just over a year. um, and Um, previously ran ran product product strategy at Tricentis and QA Symphony, which are similar companies. They're all in the testing space as is Functionize. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, um, that's where kind of my career took a a shift as, as it does sometimes. Um, I worked at a company called Mobiquity and I ran um, engineering and the QA teams there. So my background is all technical. I was a developer before that and I love doing development work. I still like to think of myself as a developer, Um, but I sort of started taking over roles um, that I found were challenging. Uh, So one was like a tech lead kind of role where I helped, you know, run a product. And I liked what the project managers were doing in terms of customer interaction. I always really liked working with customers. And I also am kind of a control freak. I like, uh, you know, deciding what we're building also. Uh Um, And so I don't know if that's a a common theme in people who run product, but um, I used a product called QTest, and it was made by a company called QA Symphony. I did some Uh, speaking engagements with them, and I liked the product. I thought testing was um, kind of an industry left behind development, uh, so software testing, Mm -hmm. and so I thought there was so much potential. um, I went to join as um, someone running product or advising product at that company, QA Symphony, and so that sort of changed a lot of my trajectory um, in my career from maybe more technical roles to something on the, the business side. And so I grew in that role. Um, we merged with the company Tricentis. They made test automation software. It's a bigger company. Um, and then about a year ago at Functionized, uh, really liked what Functionized was doing. They're really um, you know in the in the testing space still, which I know does not sound super exciting and thrilling to a lot of people because it's all about risk mitigation. Yeah. Uh, but I promise it can be very interesting. Um, so we, we approached, uh, testing a different way than Tricentus did, um, in, in a different way than other companies did. Um, so we kind of took test automation with a very modern AI ML type of approach, um, with some specific areas. I don't know if we'll get to that. I thought were, were super innovative. So I really like working on cutting edge products. I like, um, you know, working with customers and, and building things like that and functionize, you know, fits all of the, all of those things really well.
0: Yeah, so so AI ML for software product testing um, before it's actually launched out to the public and customers and things like that. Um, I would love to hear um, from someone as technical as you are, um, maybe demystify AI and ML for for us in the audience. Those are buzzwords that every everyone does AI ML, right? That's that's the new thing. But like, what what does that actually? mean and then what does it mean in in your context uh as as a product manager
1: yeah yeah that's i mean it's a great question it seems like oh aiml that's smart computers something 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 yeah but um it's it's pretty specific what it means um to me at least to someone somewhat technical and to what it means to someone in marketing will be very different, I think. Right. Um, And a a VC company, you know, someone investing in you might have an entirely other meaning for it. Um, So I'll give you sort of uh, what I see and what I think it actually is. So I I think there's like three categories here. So, and and I will caveat this saying, I am not an expert. I did not, you know, go to graduate school for machine learning. I have no PhD in this or anything, Um, but I know enough to be dangerous, I, I hope. So you have AI, artificial intelligence, ML for machine learning, and deep learning is sort of the the third category um, that I'll touch on. So AI is the superset of all those. So if I were drawing a graph, it would be encompassing uh, machine learning and deep learning. Mm -hmm. So AI, you know, to me, and I I think you'll find something like this online if you look, it's just something... where the computer is sort of mimimi- mimicking um, like human behavior in some way. And this doesn't have to be all that smart. It could be, you know, if I do this, then I do that. So right. rule-based engine is still artificial intelligence. And so you get into this mode, um, especially on marketing and VCs of, um, I can do something that would be hard for you to do manually. And so they call that AI. And so a lot of productivity software kind of falls into that category. So you see AI thrown around everywhere. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Machine learning, the subset of AI is a set of algorithms. And an algorithm is just, you know, a, a. bunch of code that follows a certain set of rules and machine learning is it's not new it seems new because computers are fast enough to run a lot of these algorithms so it's become more and more popular yeah um, as you know more people have access to like lots of compute power um, but it's not the algorithms like the math behind it is not new on a lot of these algorithms but I mean it's used in so many things now like google searches or um, you know mapping like if you you know, put something into Google Maps or Apple Maps tells you where to go. There's a lot of machine learning in there. Google searches lots of machine learning. So another subset, a subset of machine learning is deep learning. And so this is where you hear about like neural networks and things like that. Yeah. And what it can do, I mean, there's tons and tons of um, applications. So one thing I wanted to kind of talk about that it can do is, you know, say I'm using machine learning to classify plants. This is really cool um app called seek i think it's s-e-e-k that you basically take a picture of a plant and it'll tell you what kind of plant it is yeah um which is kind of amazing and you know that's a machine learning problem if you know all the plants in the world you have a giant database here are all plants here are like you know a trillion pictures of all kinds of different plants now i take a picture of one you tell me where it falls so that's kind of a the type of machine a type of machine learning problem but if i didn't know how many different types of plants there were and I want something to tell me, hey, this is a new kind of plant or something like that, you might use something like deep learning to basically help you with what you could classify something as. So I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but it's, it's like kind of next level uh, learning. So we use a lot of all of these at my company, at Functionize, we use a lot of deep learning um, and machine learning uh, all over the place, to solve several different types of problems.
0: Yeah, it sounds like deep learning is maybe the most automated of those. I know AI, there's a lot of human process behind it and setting up what you want the AI to complete. And then it sounds like ML, there's a lot more code, but deep learning is where the machine actually does what would maybe be considered thinking on its own. I'm, I'm not sure. That's kind of kind how of. it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I Machine learning, you know, when you hear things like, I'm going to train the model, things like that. That's machine learning. Right. Um, you know, you, you basically train uh, some system with a, you know, usually not always a big set of data. Um, and then this model, then you can, you know, put information into the model and you get information out based on what you've already trained it. So that's kind of, you know, what a lot of people think of as machine learning. That's a, a common way to do it. But there's, I mean, I, I was just uh, doing some some Google searches earlier and there's a whole lot of different categories of machine learning um let alone you know that one in particular
0: no yeah makes sense and so how do you approach product management in something so technical right like do you do you have to if someone else was trying to get into product management for AI ML and deep learning I don't know if it's DL but uh (laughs) I don't know what the abbreviation (laughs) for that one is um but do you have to know you know like TensorFlow and the other like fancy Google languages, or h- how do you approach PMing on something so cutting edge?
1: Yeah, you know, I I don't really know. I know what TensorFlow is, and we use TensorFlow, but I I've never used it. Um, I don't think you have to necessarily be technical to be able to, to run product um, where you have a very heavy you know intelligent product, but it certainly helps um, in a lot of ways because you. Know more or less what's possible, what's hard, what's not hard, what might be slow if you kind of understand how some of these algorithms work. And when it's such a core part of your product, it's really important to know hey, I want to do this thing. And you have to save enough time to do some research because. You know, it's not like, let me go just Google this algorithm with our data and boom, you get something, you know, the next day. There's a lot more research and development involved. So it's a little bit of a slower process to get started, especially if you have to gather the data. That's, that's a lot of it is getting good data. Um, so you have to kind of understand how that works. And then on the, the flip side is how customers see these products is very interesting. So I, I, I knew we were talking today, of course, so I pulled a couple um, statistics for us which um, I think is Ooh, pretty nice. telling in, in how, yeah. I, how I go about doing some of these things. So there's a lot of products, right, that, that use machine learning. You for sure use them. I mentioned Google searching yeah. or, or mapping traffic or, you know, how do I use Google Maps to get from point A to point B? You, you pretty much trust these two things, right? Like I search for something, I see my answers and I take that as true
0: or yeah, I put in my, my
1: direction. Yeah, I put in my directions in the map. That's, you know, almost always exactly what you wanted so much so that you'll change your typical traffic pattern. If the app tells you to do so, I think there's a really funny episode of the office where they start driving into a lake, but <laughs> yeah, outside yeah, of those coming. specific scenarios, yeah. you, know, you pretty much trust these things. Facial recognition is another really good one. It's, it's kind of scary. Good. It really um, is. Especially when they hand that to, you know, police officers to use, yeah. so uh. yeah. But then there's there's other things that you want to be good, you think are good. These big companies are making it. Um, so Alexa, Siri, Google Assistant are the three that mm-hmm. you probably use. Some you know everyone has used in some fashion, and you know th- they're not as accurate, right? Like if you talk to to Alexa, and you say, hey, you know, tell me tell me about some event in history or so- something that I could for sure just Google really easily.
0: Yeah. And Alexa,
1: you know, laughs at you. I don't know about you, but like Alexa has just laughed at me without me prompting it before. So, no, you know, yeah, I, super creepy. I,
0: I found the accuracy of Alexa to not be very great. And then <laughs> I'm going to let you continue this data because it's interesting. But there was also an article that uh, maybe a year or two back where it said that it was actually sending it to like 10,000 real humans that were listening to Alexa. So maybe they don't have the most cutting edge AI, but I don't know where you're going. So I'll let you oh, yeah. keep going on that. <laughs>
1: Well, that, that's certainly a thing, you know, you can fill in gaps with kind of this Turk approach, um, when you're, you, when you're not accurate, or if you still need to do a lot of training, it's very common for, for ML type companies to like fill in gaps. So Alexa gets, gets things right about 80% of the time. Wow. And it's, it's not high enough. So I, I was, I was doing a little bit of surveying, casual surveying earlier today of, Hey, what do you use your Alexa for? What do you use Mm -hmm. your Alexa for? And, um, most people say I use it as a kitchen timer and, you know, you have this super smart thing in, you know, I I have ours in our kitchen. I also use it to play music, but it often does not get what I want. So I, you know, then just use it as Bluetooth and I play from Spotify, but it's wrong. So frequently I don't trust it. I don't use it, but you know, the Alexa it's like a one-time thing I put in my house and it's, it's not a hard decision. So that makes it okay. And I love having my kitchen timer there. And on occasion it's helpful, like my mm-hmm. my daughter needed to learn how to spell a word, and it was near her. Maybe she can ask it, and that's that's great. Right. Um, or if I want to make my own Alexa skill, you know, you can make a little quiz show or something, super fun. But if I had to pay, you know, a thousand dollars a year, two thousand dollars a year to use this as a service, there's no way I would do that. I would yeah. not get the value out of it, right? So that's something that you know when you're using a product that's very ML focused you can't charge a lot of money for it if you're not accurate because no one will use it. So pricing and things like that, um, adoption are super tied to how accurate your stuff is and how Mm -hmm. reliable you are. And so with the Alexa, there's no way that I know of, or at least they haven't told me how to do this, that I can't train my data. So it'd be one thing is if it missed and I taught it how to be correct, it would provide more value to me. Um, But if it's missing and I can't do anything about it, you know, it's dead to me. so for for other uh, before I, I stray from this, I just wanted to share Siri was about eighty three percent accurate, um, and then Google Assistant ninety three percent approximately. Which yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm thinking it's because Google Assistant is related to Google, of yeah, course. And right. Google search. That's like the Google, search.
0: Do you have the stats on Google's searches accuracy? I mean, it's probably in the you know ninety well, nine point nine nine.
1: Yeah, it's hard to yeah. judge though because you don't know any different. So as far as you're concerned, right. it's just 100% correct. If Google didn't find it, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the way Google works is, you know, there's so many sites. If you just go make, you know, some new personal site and no one's linking to, you, they're probably not going to find you. So you have to. That's a whole SEO problem. Index. I mean, there's yeah. yeah, so many jobs dedicated to the SEO stuff.
0: Well, that's yeah, that is interesting. It seems like there's a long way to go for. I guess, specifically voice-based AI, ML, um, which all three of those devices are, w- what type of accuracy um, are you guys seeing in the testing world? Like, I mean, tell us a little bit about that. That it seems interesting. So in my mind as a casual observer that knows not a lot about software testing in, in the sense of automated software testing, is, is your AI ML just running, you know, Thousands and millions of scenarios of how the software could be used, and in, instantaneously, or how how does that work, and how, how accurate is that?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. So there, one of the problems with with these um, voice tools is they're meant to be this personal assistant, meaning mm-hmm. they have to be able to do everything. Like they have to be able to do math, and they right. do, you know, your movie times. That's the thing anymore um and they do directions and they do like e-commerce stuff and you know they're all over the place so yeah they're not going to be accurate in every area so if they were to focus on one thing they of course would be much better at it Great point. Um, and so in software testing it's kind of funny you bring that up is um and this was not planned for anyone listening um <laughs> one of the things that i find that people come and talk to me all the time they're like hey i need I need to like upgrade my software testing process and we want to use machine learning. And they'll come to me with this like huge list of, I don't want to say ridiculous things, but huge list of things that they want to do. They like want us to just make the test for them. Um, no more human touching the test <laughs> and have it be a hundred percent coverage. And, you know, things yeah. that are like really, really huge problems.
0: Just fully automate their jobs and they don't have to tell anyone so they can just kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah, we just hit the button and go home. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, yeah. So expectations are very, very high for this, but like, right. it's not like this is how other tools work. <laughs> you know, my my picture taking app doesn't just talk me in my pocket without me doing something. I still have to like be involved mm-hmm. here. Yeah. I have to find a, a good angle for the plant. I ha- you know, it's not a hundred percent. So what we've done, so so let me kind of explain software testing automation to you. Yeah, um,
0: sure.
1: So. The traditional way is you write a script um, and, you know, there's sort of two parts to a uh, test automation script. So you have you have some code. Most people use like an open source library called Selenium to do web testing and other yeah. frameworks out there. And then they write their script and there's, if I'm doing web testing, there's sort of two parts to my test. So I have to find an element on the screen on my website. And then I have to interact with that element. And that could be a click or an input or a hover or Mm -hmm. um, right click, things like that. So those are two kind of fundamental things. And what is amazing is those two things are very, very hard. Um, So the the way the first one is solved, let me find the right element. That's probably the hardest problem. So people come to us all the time. And in, in my experience and me running Teams and writing these tests myself, um, your, your website changes over time. So you use what's called selectors to say, hey, select me the third div in the fourth table on this page. And that's a, that's a terrible selector. You would do something like select this thing with this ID attribute. Um, but the problem is anytime the site changes, that selector may change, or you may change some like basic thing with the site and your developer doesn't update what you need. But basically this stuff like constantly is changing. So traditionally, you would have your big test suite. You'd run it at night. You'd come in in the morning. You go fix it, and it's almost always these selectors that change. And then, like your site changes, like you might have a form, and someone adds in. You know, your developer appropriately adds in a new field into your form, and so it breaks everything. So you have to go in after it's failed and fix it and rerun it, and you know, hopefully it works tonight when you go home. Um, so what we've done is we've taken these two problems, which are kind of the fundamental building blocks to existing test automation. Mm. Um, and we've applied machine learning to those. So one thing that's very different about what we do is we don't anymore write a script. We're not using, it's called Selenium, is this, this test framework, um, it's open source framework. We don't use this behind the scenes. And almost every other tool kind of, you know, in our test automation bubble does something like that. So instead of writing a script, what we do is kind of this big data approach. So you define your test, you can sort of record it on your website. And it's creating essentially your test intent, like what you want the test to do. I want it to fill out this first field and then the second field and this third field and I want it to click go. Yeah. So when we go to select the element, when you actually run the test, it has a lot more information. So when I say it, we take a big data approach at every step that you're recording, it captures the entire state of your website. So all of your DOM data and your style data, um, timing data, things like that, and we do that at every single step, in addition to screenshots. So when you go to run the test, I look at all of that data and say, oh, "Okay, you know, this is where the machine learning comes in. I'm going to, you know, click on the thing that looks like this that has these, you know, 800 cousin elements in this position. That way, if you move things around, we're still very, very likely to find it. So our accuracy, which is kind of your original question, um, is about 99.9% for wow. that selection problem. So it's very, very accurate. We've spent years working on this in adjusting it because yeah, you amazing. know it if we miss someone's gonna go, oh my test isn't working. Yeah, so, there's a very high
0: cost of failure. I mean, because people yeah. are gonna launch after you after they run your test and get the okay. So that but absolutely like, failure is very rare with that rate.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it still happens because you you might have a test with a hundred steps in it. So it, it certainly does happen, it can happen. It's sometimes our fault, It sometimes your site changed too much. We couldn't understand it. Usually if nothing changes, there's no reason that it, it fails mm-hmm. um, typically, but on any changes, you know, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't, but the vast majority of the time we do, enough where our customers trust us. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about running a product that is very, um, you know, our, one of our value props is we have all of this intelligence built in, um, but it can't be like black magic. It can't be hidden. So I have to show you when we do, we call it like self-healing, but fundamentally everything we do is self-healing because we, we're not using these selectors basically. Most tools will say, oh, we do self-healing. We use a selector that didn't work. Let me try these other couple of selectors, which is AI, but not ML. So we have hmm. this ML approach, this big data approach. And I don't want to say on every step, hey, we self-healed your chest successfully. Um, but I do want to call out when things change. Like if something, uh, changed in an anomalous way. So let's say we selected your input box, but suddenly your input box is, you know, it was at 10 pixel, um, you know, uh, 10 pixels down on the page. And suddenly it's 200 pixels down on the page. We're going to tell you, hey, we, you know, we, we still you know, found the thing that we think is right. And we're still gonna run the test, but we're going to tell you, hey, this is anomalous. It does not normally appear here. So that's one of the, the things you have to do is kind of demystify this stuff. And then if it's wrong, you have to be able to train the system and say, this is wrong. So that's the other piece is you can eventually train it to be correct. And we train based on all of those successful things. So if you come in and like fail something, for example, we're going to assume that that's wrong going forward. So we will not take that into consideration.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And it, and it does seem like a very accurate process that's, that's constantly learning. So I think what would be interesting to hear from you, Elise, is I mean, it sounds like you guys have successfully applied AI, ML to software testing, which which, if I zoomed out, I would say, okay, that's definitely a field where advanced automation and machine learning is going to go, right? Very techie field. Mm-hmm. What about like with regards to future tools in maybe the PM space or other areas? Where do you think, I mean, because it feels like we're still at the beginning of advanced AI ML, unless you're at a Google or Facebook or one of those companies for the everyday company, right? Where, where do you see this going in terms of tools, um, B2B tools in the future?
1: Yeah, I, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I definitely think we're at the very, very beginning of this. Um, there's there's so much data and everything now is kind of like this data grab. So yeah. the first person to get all the data on people or your shopping habits or whatever, That You could be, should be the first one to analyze it and tell me what I need to buy next. Mm -hmm. So there's so much money to be made in that kind of field. You know, in the PM space, it'd be really neat if I had a tool that would just tell me what to build based on what users are doing, how they're using my product. Tell me what's good and what's not good um, without me having to say, okay, I'm pretty sure we have this new feature coming out. I think people are going to love it. Um, let me go into whatever analytics tool I'm using and, you know, track my funnel from here to here and see where people are dropping off. Like, why can't something just tell me like, good job, yeah. Elise, you know, <laughs> you, you had a successful release. So, yes. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places we probably talk about that, um, pretty much all day.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: Tesla's maybe an interesting example, self-driving cars. That's probably the next really like game-changing one, um, that I see happening. I don't know. I'm sure you haven't seen this, but, um. Tesla came out with a video uh, maybe a number of months ago where you can kind of see how the machine learning is applied when you're driving this, you know, they're self-driving in their self-driving mode and you see like boxes around like the people and the curbs and the signs and you can see what it's recognizing and with what urgency and it's so fast now. And so the fact that you can do this super fast and not not just in cars, but like on phones, phones are able to handle a lot of machine learning algorithms now. Uh, because of their compute power, so this is totally going to change how like phones are working. Um, it's going to change our driving style, let alone like you know productivity tools um, like what we build.
0: That's no, it's fascinating and it's awesome that you're on the the cutting edge of of um, AI ML, especially within product management. What advice would you have for anyone listening who's looking to get into AI ML, deep learning, but maybe not like obviously everyone's going to say go go to go learn those advanced codes and start developing your own machine learning algorithms. Okay, sure, but I didn't go to, you know, Stanford grad school and study, uh, you know, theoretical math. So like I mean, maybe not in the less technical <laughs> field, where do you see those opportunities emerging for something that's definitely not gonna stop growing, right? It's just gonna keep keep growing and growing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think to, to not be scared of it, it's, it's one, yeah, going to be kind, kind of point. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, don't be scared of it. It's not as hard as it sounds. So I think it's very intimidating sounding kind of, you know, people get really scared of like code and I don't, you know, I don't know how to write mm-hmm. code. This is really hard. You don't really have to know how to do any of that stuff. You just have to kind of understand like what's possible. Mm-hmm. And so if you look up one one thing that's probably helpful, if you just do some like, you know, Google searches, what's the difference between AI, machine learning, um, deep learning, stuff like that. And you'll kind of come across, okay, let's talk about machine learning. That's maybe the most basic thing. You know, not take a course or anything. And they're going to say, okay, well, there's different, types of machine learning there's supervised machine learning and unsupervised machine learning and then you go down this kind of path of things that you can build but you'll find tons of good examples like that example I mentioned with um plant classification seek um like where does that come in versus like clustering algorithms come in and where you know you get different kinds of examples of what that would be or you know there's, there's so many different uh interesting things that are now so so close like you understand because you're like oh i use maps you know i know exactly how that would work yeah um so they they give you really good you know common examples of these things so it's not that scary and just kind of you know what data do i need to make this work and then you get your you know your amazing data scientist at your company who knows this stuff inside and out and you can say how much data do i need to train on this how long will that take you multiply it by 10 and you get a real answer
0: <laughs> multiply it by 10 there's, there's a secret <laughs> uh
1: That's yeah secret. and I
0: cannot wait to check, check out the seek app on all my plants around the house and see I'm gonna do my own accuracy test and see how how accurate seek is
1: so cool it's so cool you <laughs> can even take a picture you, it, it even has like mammals like if you show it in front of a person or a dog or something it'll give you a pretty funny answer
0: I wonder if it'll recognize my fake plant outside. I wonder if I can trick this AI ML.
1: So one thing that's really cool about it is um, it has the different, you know, genus, phylum, class order, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Classification, I think. Um, And if it doesn't know, it'll just call everything like a dicot, which is, you know, some higher level thing. Mm -hmm. So it might just be like, oh, it's a dicot. I don't know what it is. That's kind of how the app feels. So you're not like, Oh, this knows everything. It's just classifying everything it doesn't know as the something.
0: Okay. As long as it doesn't say that it's an IKEA, I think it'll it'll win because that's that
1: that's would great. be amazing
0: though. <laughs> that's where it's actually from. I but, think that uh, would be better. <laughs> awesome. Well, as we wrap out here, is there any, any other shout-outs or, or things you want to mention before we uh, call it a day?
1: Um, you know, I'd love it if, uh, if your listeners are not doing test automation. Um and you want to be, go check out my company, Functionize.com. We'll answer all of your questions and all of your ML questions uh, as much as possible.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like a great growing tool and they will be directed there from your, uh, your wrap up there. So absolutely. You heard it guys. If you want to check out Functionize, um, go check it out. And thanks so much,
1: Elise, for um, joining the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. All right. Take care.